get out to the guest hotline right now. One of our favorites, longtime guest here, writer for Ring Magazine, and of course, you all watch him on the YouTube channel with the Neutral Corner. It is the great Mike Montero. What's up, Mike? Hey, what's up, Dave? I uh, hope you're enjoying your holiday season, my friend. As 2019 comes to a close, what a great year we've had in boxing, man. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, well how about the Charlo Harrison fight the other night? Uh, I, could we put together a third one here? I think boxing fans would be in favor of that. Well, you know, Tony's calling for it, and a lot of fans felt that Tony was winning the fight when he was stopped by Charlo. you got to give Charlo credit for coming back from behind and, and getting a stoppage in that second fight. All the fans there in L.A. and all the press that were there, they enjoyed the fight. I think it did a solid rating on TV. It was a good card overall from PBC. It was a solid card. It was a lot of fun. I wouldn't mind seeing it again, so let's do it. I know Tony Harrison wants it, and I think Charlo wants it too. Now, I think what people don't want to see again is Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. when he quit on his stool <laughs> against Danny Jacobs here. But are we being too rough on the guy? Uh, did he have a broken nose and have to go to the hospital afterward and was having trouble breathing? And I know he got pelted with garbage and bottles when he left the ring in Phoenix, but uh, are, are we being too tough on him? Did he have a serious injury? Uh, well, to be honest with you, Dave, I don't know for sure. He claims that he broke his nose. I haven't seen any medical reports or anything like that, you know, any doctor's notes or anything, so I'm not sure. But we've seen plenty of fighters fight with broken noses. I mean, remember Arturo Gatti. Of course, he's the yep. standard when it comes to, you know, fighting hurt. But we've seen plenty of guys fighting hurt this year that I could point to, plenty of uh, examples of that. So I think Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., because he has that Chavez name, because his father is so revered as – is the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And there's a lot of pressure on him, but he keeps wanting to come back and he keeps wanting to fight. And a lot of people feel that he's uh, benefited from having that last name and he hasn't produced. So, look, the fans were really upset. As you mentioned, they were throwing beer at him. They weren't just throwing it at him. They were throwing it in the ring. I think one one beer bottle actually hit one of the announcer's crew with, with the zone. So it got pretty ugly there real quick. I, I think Chavez, and I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's a hilarious follow on Twitter. Uh, he's been posting all sorts of things after that incident, saying he wants another fight with Daniel Jacobs and everything else. I think maybe finally this time, Dave, the fans have had enough. They've given him more than enough chances. And I think the worst news of all is how old and how ancient I feel that he's 33 years old. Uh, I, I used to see him leading his old man into the ring when he was a little kid back in the day. Yeah, him and his brothers. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, wow, he's 33. I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> I follow this stuff every day. Yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely lived a lot of life for 33 years old. Well, and it's interesting. I'm going to get your, uh, as a boxing historian and analyst here, Mike Montero, I think a lot of us have short memories here. And then after the fight, everybody was saying, what a disgrace to the great Julio Cesar Chavez, his father, and, uh, you know, the heart of a lion, and his father never would have done anything on and on. But uh, when you look back, didn't the old man quit twice against Oscar, against Costa Zoo, against Frankie Randall the second time? I think the old man had a little dog in him, too. Like when things weren't going his way, a lot of times he packed it in. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Uh, I think at that point, though, because of everything he had done before that, you know, the great fights. At one point, I think he was 68-0 or something yeah. like that. I can't remember the exact number. But he had uh, just entertained his fans, and he had fought at stadiums in Mexico in front of 100,000 Mexican fans. He had done legendary things. And there were great Mexican fighters before him, of course, and, and many after him. But he really put Mexican boxing on the map globally 
if you think about it, in, in the sport of boxing. Uh, it's, it's been a completely different atmosphere for Mexican-American fans and Mexican fighters around the world since Chavez. So I think in many fans' eyes, he had earned the right. At that point, he was an older, faded fighter to say, you know what, I don't have it in me anymore. Tonight ain't my night. That's not what Junior did the other night. I, I think a lot of people feel that Junior, as soon as he – the nose did look broke. It was bleeding, okay? And as a guy who's broken his nose before, it, it's not fun. And that you taste that metal taste in your mouth when the blood's trickling yeah. down, not fun. But it seemed – you know, we've seen fighters break their nose, and they give it a round. They, they, go, they go out there and give it a round and try to go for broke and score a knockout. It just seemed immediately when he had that injury, and it happened to coincide with Daniel Jacobs' best round where he was putting a lot of leather on Junior. So it, that's kind of when he bowed out. And I think the way he went about it, uh, not doing an interview in the ring and, and running out of the, the ring the way he did, I think a lot of fans, just it just rubbed them the wrong way because he has a history of this stuff. And remember, Dave, coming into this fight, Chavez refused to take a, a drug test. And this fight was supposed to be in Las Vegas. He was temporary, temporarily suspended by the Nevada Commission. Uh, he didn't make weight. He came in five pounds over the super middleweight limit. So there's a lot going on here. It wasn't just an isolated incident. And we talk, when you talk about a great come-from-behind victory, Julio Cesar saw as the Meldrick Taylor fight, the first one, uh, when that was stopped by Richard Steele with, what, five seconds left to go on the 12th round. But you know what? I want to get your opinion on that one, Mike. Uh, I thought I thought that Julio Cesar Chavez was even going into that 12th round, and uh, he was killing Meldrick to the body uh, in the second half of the fight. And yeah, yeah, if you listen to that fight and listen to the HBO cheerleading crew uh, cheering for their house fighter Meldrick Taylor, you would have thought he was ahead in that fight. But Meldrick, what well, he had a broken eye socket, he had broken ribs, he had both eyes swollen shut. And when he went to the hospital after the fight, the the, the doctor thought he'd been in a car accident. I thought Chavez was winning in the 12th round. I might be in the minority here. Well, I personally, I thought Taylor was winning, but I agree with you. It was very competitive and very close. And look at both fighters after that fight, yeah. where they went in their career. That fight completely changed Taylor. And we've seen that in boxing before, where just one fight just changes a guy. He's never the same after that. And Chavez still went on to do great things in the sport, but Taylor was never the same. Now, for my money, Richard Steele should have been aware and realized there was five seconds left in the fight and tried to let Taylor continue. Yes. My personal opinion is Chavez would have nailed him. And the first shot Chavez hit him with, he would have been out cold anyway, and we wouldn't even be having this argument because that ending is still argued to this day, not just by boxing fans, but by writers, historians, even boxers argue over that moment to this day. Steele should have let him fight, Dave. Well, I mean, when he waved it off, uh, the, the ring lights were about two feet away from him when, he, when, when Taylor was in the corner and he waved the fly. I don't know how he couldn't have noticed that. And that, they go on when there's less than 10 seconds left in the round. Yeah, that, that's just not being aware. You know, you're supposed to have that sort of awareness if you're a ref. And I understand it can get crazy in there. The crowd's going nuts. It's hard to hear things. But as you said, there's lights there. Uh, you have commission officials around the ring that are telling you 10 seconds. I mean, you're supposed to be aware and know what's going on. And then just knowing how competitive that fight was and everything that Taylor had done early on, you know, he deserved, I feel, to, to be given a chance to survive. I personally don't think he would have. I think Chavez would have knocked him out clean, as I said, the second after he let him go. But I just think Taylor had earned that right. 
Hey, Mike, can you hang on and do, uh, I want to talk some heavyweight boxing with and some other stuff on the other side. You got some time? Absolutely, brother. Let's do it. The great Mike Montero, Ring Magazine, the neutral corner on YouTube, the authority when it comes to the sweet science and the sport of boxing. Boy, that let's, YouTube uh, let's talk about the heavyweights, man. Yeah, but that YouTube channel of yours is growing by leaps and bounds from, from humble beginnings now to being a worldwide force in boxing, so congratulations. Thank you, sir. We put a lot of work into that. I actually just finished the studio in my house and uh, ready to start doing the show live from the studio I built. It's going to be awesome. I keep getting texts and messages from inside your house, though, Mike, claiming that uh, you wear an apron and you're doing housework and somebody's ratting you, <laughs> somebody's ratting you out in your own house. You know that? <laughs> I wonder who that could be. <laughs> Mike Montero, Joint Day Smith here at SB Nation Radio. Before we get to the heavyweights here, Mike, um, uh, Errol Spence Jr. made his first appearance the other night and was interviewed by Brian Kenny on television for around five minutes and looked good, sounded good, and but he is a, a walking, talking, living miracle to have survived that, uh, that, that, that horrible 100-mile-an-hour crash in his Ferrari while he was allegedly driving drunk. It's, it's miraculous to look at him right now. Yeah, I mean, just months after that, right? Um, that the car flipped over several times. He was ejected from the car. And apparently the only thing that happened injury-wise was some lacerations on his oh. face. Uh, he, he knocked out some teeth, so he's had some dental work done. But that's it. And uh, he looked very healthy, looked good uh, with Brian Kenny on, on that PBC broadcast the other night. And he says he's probably going to be back around May. So that's what they're shooting for. <laughs> Well, first of all, let's talk about the Andy Ruiz-Anthony Joshua fight. Uh, you know, uh, Anthony Joshua, safety first, you know, hit and don't get hit, boring fight. But, you know, he, he did what he, what he wanted to accomplish in winning his championship belts back. But uh, it's just unbelievable that Andy Ruiz, uh, he, he looked pretty good, you know, in the training videos we saw about a month or so before the fight. Evidently, he ate everything in the world in that last month, got up to 283 and came in in, in unbelievably poor condition for that fight. Yeah, Dave, I remember us talking about that, you know, during training camp. I think we, we did a couple segments talking about it. And, you know, at first we saw Andy Ruiz partying over the summer. Uh, this is a guy who kind of went from nothing to something overnight. I mean, he was known by boxing diehards and, and the boxing press in the Los Angeles area where he lives and trains. But, or I should say Southern California is a couple hours outside of L.A. But, uh Globally, you know, he wasn't known by casual boxing fans. And suddenly overnight, he's, he's doing all these shows, he's meeting politicians, he's in parades. And I think he enjoyed his moment a little too much because uh, although he did get serious in training camp and everything, and at least that's what we were told, come to find out that uh, he was, as he says, training himself. He was going out and running by himself. He wasn't listening to his trainer, Manny Robles, who's a great, fantastic trainer, one of the best in the sport. And he showed up heavier in, in the rematch. And I remember at, at the weigh-in, you know, he didn't take his shirt off. And at the first weigh-in, he did. So I thought that was very telling. And he didn't take his shirt off in the ring uh, during the fight until just before the first the opening bell rang. So he was clearly hiding something. And we saw he was hiding once he took his shirt off. <laughs> just looked lethargic, out of shape. And, you know, this is who Andy Ruiz has always been. I, I favored Anthony Joshua to win the rematch all along. I think that they're on two different levels just as far as athletes and their boxing skills. Uh, Ruiz does some good things well. He moves his hands very fluidly, but his feet don't move well. He's very plodding and flat-footed. And he looked like crap 
in that rematch. And immediately he said, let's do it again. Let's do a third one. No. He doesn't deserve that. Just does not deserve it. Mike Montero with Dave Smith here at SB Nation Radio and SBNationRadio.com. You know, some, some interesting news. Uh, Anthony Joshua's got the three belts back. Uh, you know, he, he has, he's, uh, you know, a pars- well, he's got three out of the four major belts right now, back being heavyweight champion. And, and he volunteered to be Tyson Fury's sparring partner as Fury's getting ready for the Wilder rematch. And Fury accepted. Uh, I can't imagine that Eddie Hearn and uh, his promoters and, and DAZN and Matchroom Boxing, they're not going to allow him to actually do this, are they? I can't see it happening either, Dave. I mean, DAZN has you know over $100 million invested in Anthony Joshua. They've got huge plans for him down the road. I think that it's great on social media. It gets people talking. And part of me wonders if there was maybe a phone call from Tyson Fury to Anthony Joshua. Hey, we're both UK guys. Let's play some mind games on Deontay Wilder. And maybe that's what's kind of going on here. It benefits Anthony Joshua if Tyson Fury beats Wilder in the rematch. Because down the line, an all-UK super fight between the two of them is massive. That's just a huge fight. And Fury has shown he's willing to fight anybody. And I don't know if Wilder wants to fight, you know, go across the street, as they say, and fight Anthony Joshua. I'm just not sure that that's going to happen. Who do you like in the Wilder-Fury rematch? You know, on the one hand, um, you know, Wilder maybe figured him out here and uh, getting a second fight, maybe he gets him out of there faster. Or, you know, Fury has the style. He doesn't stand right in front of Wilder. He moves on him and he outboxed him. And I thought he won the first fight. And Fury's probably the only guy who's taken that full force right hand to the jaw, survived it, got up, and was actually winning at the end of the fight. So maybe that's a confidence boost for him. That's a great point, Dave. I mean, he took that huge right hand, and he took it in the 12th round when he was tired. So think about that. And, and he got up, and I thought he won the rest of that round. Yeah, he, he did. Too wilder in that 12th round. So I keep going back and forth. You know, originally I, I thought to myself, who can do better in the rematch? And I, I just feel that Deontay Wilder is peaking right now, and he's got that power, and maybe he could start uh, throwing earlier. He can get started quicker in the early rounds. So my gut instinct is to say Wilder wins the rematch, but the way people talk and everything you just said makes so much sense. It makes me wonder if, if Fury can pull it off. But if you put a gun to my head, I say Wilder wins. And I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps him down this time with the right yeah. hand. But Teofimo Lopez, you know, a kid who's been on this show and uh, devastating power in both hands, crushing power in the lightweight division, and he wins the lightweight title against a really tough customer and a good fighter in Richard Comey, a dangerous fighter with a second-round knockout, and uh, now it's going to be him and Loma. Um, is he ready for him? Uh, if he taps Loma on the chin, I guess, I guess he could get him out of there the way he punches, but uh, who do you like in that fight? That's a fantastic matchup. To me, I know people are talking about the Wilder Fury rematch, which is supposed to take place February 22nd, probably in Vegas. And I'm excited for that. But the first real big, intriguing matchup for me that I'm just salivating over is that Lomachenko-Lopez fight. That's probably going to happen in April. I, I, I just have a gut feel that Lomachenko's craft, his, his boxing IQ, his skill level, and his footwork are going to be able to keep him away from Lopez's big punches. Lopez is very explosive. Uh, we saw that knockout over Comey. That was an incredible statement-making performance from Lopez. But it is a quantum leap in skill level from Richard Comey to Vasily Lomachenko, who is arguably yep. the best fighter in the world in all of fight sports right now, pound for pound. Well, I saw- so I favor Lomachenko by decision. 
Now, we saw him get knocked down in one of his recent fights, and uh, he's small. Uh, I, 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 how is his chin, like with a guy like Teofimo, if Teofimo hits him on the jaw uh, with Loma? You think uh, you th- if he can survive that and, and, and go move on, yeah, I think he's going to win the fight. What happens the first time he gets cracked uh, on the jaw by Teofimo? You know, it, it's all about if he sees the shot coming, Dave. Um, yep. He, the, the knockdown you speak of when he, w- he was dropped by Jorge Linares, he kind of got lazy because he was really starting to have his way with Linares, and he just dove in with his, his chin up and his hands down and walked right into his shot. It's kind of an off-balance knockdown. He really wasn't hurt. Linares can crack, too. But with Lopez, explosive, fast-twitch, compact fighter. He's kind of like a mini Mike Tyson. He's a little pit bull in there. Uh, if he connects clean with a shot that Lomachenko doesn't see coming, he could be hurt, and he, he could be hurt in a serious way. So Lomachenko has to be fully aware in this fight. It has to stay disciplined for the entire 12-round distance. And I think he knows that, and I expect him – I actually expect him to win pretty decisively against Lopez. When you look at that welterweight division right now, we saw Errol Spence on TV the other night. He looks good. He's going to be fighting again. you got Errol Spence and Danny Garcia and uh, Sean Porter and Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman all on the – PBC side, and you got Bud uh, Terrence Crawford all by himself over there with top rank and ESPN and Bob Arum. Uh, you think Al Heyman's just going to freeze him out and just have his own guys fight each other and make all the money and maybe a little bit of a pressure power play uh, to tell Bud, hey, maybe uh, you know when your contract's up, come over with us, then we'll get you some fights. I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it too is is letting Crawford kind of get older. You know, he's older than Errol Spence. Ultimately, the, the two best welterweights right now are Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, right? And those are the two guys that everybody wants to see fight down the road. So I think the plan over at PBC is, well, let's let Terrence get old. Let's let him fight everybody that uh, they have over in top rank, whoever it is, and we'll keep building up Errol Spence. We'll keep getting him more experience. Eventually, we'll get him to fight with Manny Pacquiao. That builds his brand. That makes him more of a household brand. And then when he's fought everybody in PBC and made tens of billions of dollars, if Terrence Crawford's a little bit past his prime, then we make the fight. That's exactly what Golden Boy Promotions and Canelo Alvarez did with Gennady Golovkin. It's exactly what Floyd Mayweather did with Manny Pacquiao. It's happened for years. It's what Sugar Ray Leonard did with Marvin Hagler. You know, it's happened forever in boxing, and I think that's the plan right now at PBC. What's next for Canelo Alvarez? Uh, you know, fought at 75, knocked out uh, the crusher, Sergey Kovalev. Uh, got a couple of tough Russians up there at 75 that I don't think uh, Oscar wants to put Canelo in there with. Uh, maybe Triple Z at 68 or back at 60. Um, I don't know. What's the best fight for him right now? I actually spoke with Eddie Reynoso, Canelo's trainer, last week. We talked on the phone. Uh, I got some quotes for him because we, uh, we awarded him the Trainer of the Year Award at Ring Magazine. So, I was talking to him about that, and I asked him the very same question. Who are you guys going to fight next? What's going on? So they dumped the light heavyweight title. He vacated that title and said, we're not fighting at 175 for a foreseeable future. So it's going to be at 160 or 168. Eddie Reynoso told me that Canelo should have no problem getting back down to 160 as long as he has a full training camp to do it. And he told me they're going to fight two of the following five names, Gennady Golovkin, Callum Smith, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, Jamal Charlo, or Demetrius Andrade. Those are the two of those names they will call next year. I personally think it's probably going to be Gennady Golovkin, third fight with him, and then one of the British guys, either Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders, because they want to get into that market 
And uh, I know the zone has a presence over there, or Eddie Hearn, I should say, has a presence over there, and they want to get into that market. So two of those guys that he represents, I think he's going to fight one of them. It's probably going to be Callum Smith. You know, Billy Joe Saunders would give him trouble, I think. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a southpaw. He's a good boxer, side-to-side movement. Uh, uh, David Lemieux, he, he, he shut him out and won all 12 rounds against a hard puncher like him. And uh, you know, guys who move in box have given Canelo trouble over the years. Uh, that might be a tricky fight for him. Yeah, and he's also tall. You know, he's tall and rangy. Um, so, you know, I, I do think Canelo has a very good defense, and he has the ability to get under shots. However, it might be hard for him to catch Billy Joe Saunders clean. And, you know, that would be a fight I'd be very, very interested in. So, I, I, you know, will we see that? I'm not sure. The thing with Billy Joe Saunders is he doesn't really bring a market with him. He's not a big name. And Gennady Golovkin's still a big name, right? Callum Smith is undefeated. Uh, he won the World Boxing Super Series Tournament last year. He's technically the lineal ring champion at super middleweight. So that might be the place to go. He's also just between you and me and everyone listening, he's had trouble making the super middleweight limit. He's really killed himself the last couple fights to get down to that weight, and that's something that fighters pay attention to. So they might kind of see him as vulnerable and go after him. Well, and if he fights Callum Smith or Billy Joe Saunders uh, across the pond, maybe Oscar doesn't have the judges in his hip pocket like he did uh, in Vegas with Triple G. So you, you think Golden Boy want those fights in Vegas and not in England? absolutely they bring it to vegas <laughs> yeah i i wish he would go over to the uk i think a fight with canelo alvarez and especially callum smith i think that would be a big big fight over there they could do something like that in wembley stadium and do a huge crowd the uk fans would go nuts for that but i think that they're probably going to try to bring smith to vegas and the, the british fans travel well to vegas they always have so they could probably go to the casino there and get the casino site fee and get the big money. And that's what Canelo goes for. Well, great stuff as always, Mike. Uh, and uh, you and Tiff, uh, enjoy that Christmas holiday with you and the family. And uh, great stuff as always. Thank you, sir. And same to you. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. There he goes. The great Mike Montero with Dave Smith here at SB Nation Radio and SB Nation Radio.com.